Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Ben Blakey. It's Friday, August 6th, 2021. Many hands make light work. I think we've all experienced the benefits of that. I experience that every week as one of the pastors at Compass Bible Church, Treasure Valley. Uh, We are a mobile church. We meet in a middle school gymnasium. We set up and tear down church every single week. And let me tell you, many hands makes light work Uh, because of all the different people that, that chip in and help out and serve, even just thinking of a few hundred chairs uh, set up on Sunday mornings and how everybody just stacking a couple of those chairs makes that process go so much quicker. Uh, Many hands make light work. I think we've also seen uh, in our lives at different points, times where we're not so much thankful for how many hands are making light work, we're kind of resentful because we are working hard and we're looking at a lot of people that are just standing around doing nothing. Have you ever had one of those experiences where where you're working and you're like, uh, can I get a little help here? Or you feel like everyone else left early and, and you're left all alone, kind of making sure things are done and done right. Uh, we all probably know the frustration of those times. Well, today we have to think about a job that every Christian has, uh, something that we are to team up and and do, and it's put in somewhat agrarian terms here in our passage today as we think about workers in the harvest. Uh, Let's look at Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 12. Now, the context here is Jesus is appointing 72 others. So you've got the 12 disciples and now he's getting 72 others and he's sending them out two by two uh, to kind of prepare towns that he is going to go and speak to. And he says something here right at the beginning that should get our attention. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And this isn't the only time that Jesus says something like this. And I think we should, uh, we're going to need to understand as we dig into this passage, there are some things that seem more universal and some things that are more specific. And I think this is a very universal statement for Christians and for the church. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. I mean, just consider how that statement is true today. Uh, And I think you can think about this locally or even globally. I think through the area I live, uh, the Treasure Valley here, the Boise, Idaho area, it's one of the fastest growing uh, nations or communities in the nation. And as I think about that, I think, man, the harvest is plentiful. And I think of how our church has grown so much, uh, largely due to the growth in the area and think, man, there is still so much more work to do and so many more people to reach. Or I think of... uh, where I used to live in Orange County, California, a county with over 3 million people. That is a lot of souls. The harvest is plentiful. There are so many people to reach. But then also you think of just our global situation over just the billions of people on planet Earth and how many billions of them have never heard the name of Jesus Christ. And what a sad thing that is. 
I don't think there has ever been in the history of the church a time where you could have said, you know what, we've actually got enough laborers, we're getting everything done, we're reaching all the people that we need to reach. No, there is still more work to do. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And I want just for this time this morning to really remind you that you are meant to be a laborer. If you are a Christian, you are meant to have a role in the harvest. And especially, I hope even we call this podcast Revival from the Bible, I hope you pray for revival. And I think too many times we think of revival as something that would be cool to watch. And if we're really going to see revival, I think we're going to need more workers that aren't just sitting back and watching, that are actively a part of the disciple-making process. You know, we we look at revivals in the past and we think of great preachers that were a part of that revival. But I think we miss so much of if there were to be a revival, how much work would need to be done by so many Christians to share the gospel, to teach people the Bible, to to disciple people and, and help them to understand the Bible. God wants you to be involved. And so are you? Are you involved in the harvest that is going on? Are you saying, God, use me to reach, teach, and train and to help in this disciple-making process? And there's so many ways that that can look like. I mean, I think of the practical needs of something like my church where we wouldn't be able to do our mission without people uh, being dedicated to serve and to to set up the stage and chairs or uh, just thinking of the the camp compass that we just did, our our summer uh, kids camp and how Oh, you know, we had over 400 kids. Well, we had to have over a hundred adult volunteers that were working really hard to make that happen. Are you serving your local church in ways that is helping that church make disciples? But more than that, more than just thinking about checking the box, I mean, who are you sharing the gospel with? Who are you seeking to reach? Are you trying to influence others and lead others even in this great commission that our Savior has given to us? The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And we will get more work done if we have many hands and many people that are eagerly seeking to make disciples. And so as we think through that and look at this passage, one thing we should understand is not all of these instructions here are necessarily for every Christian at every time, even where he tells them to carry no money bag, no knapsack, and some of the specific instructions of, hey, you know, stay in the same house or, you know, shake off the dust of your feet. I think some of these are very specific to this um, this trip that he is sending all of these men out on. But that principle of the harvest being plentiful, but the laborers few, that's still going on today. And we all need to say, God, here am I, send me. I want to be a part of the harvest. And now as we are a part of that, you're going to find because the harvest is so plentiful and the laborers are too few, you're going to find yourself in some less than ideal situations. That is just the reality. And we're going to learn, well, how do you deal with those less than ideal situations from the Apostle Paul today as we finish the book of Philippians and look at Philippians 4, 10 through 23. And here he talks about how God has provided for him and how God has used the Philippians to provide for him. But he speaks of basically times where he felt like he had everything and times where he didn't. 
Um, in verse 11, he says, not that I am speaking of being in need for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And so Again, we get to that familiar verse, which, you know, especially during the Olymp- Olympics, it seems like that verse has been, you know, just taken by the athletic department of Christian schools and put up on the walls as kind of a, a motivational a thought. Uh, but again, notice the context of that verse. It's the context really of contentment. And, you know, hey, I can do what God calls me to do when I feel like I have everything I need and when I don't, because I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So as you seek to work in the harvest, you're going to find some times where you feel like you're faced with situations that are less than ideal. And that's where we have to remember, you know, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And I think we're going to see an example of that from the Old Testament as we start the book of Ezra today. So we have finished 1st 2nd Samuel, 1st 2nd Kings, 1st 2nd Chronicles, and now we're going to get into Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. And especially Ezra and Nehemiah kind of go together nicely, and they really focus on the rebuilding of Jerusalem after the exile. So when we kind of finish up 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, um, it's not so good uh, because the temple is destroyed, the people from both Israel eventually and Judah in the end are taken into exile, Israel by the Assyrians first. And then later in 586 BC, the temple is completely destroyed and Judah is kind of completely decimated and the people are all in exile, but the people start coming back, which fulfilled the prophecy of God and the people start coming back and Ezra and Nehemiah are going to talk about the people coming back and rebuilding Jerusalem. And specifically, Ezra is going to focus on them rebuilding the temple and Nehemiah is going to focus more on rebuilding the city and rebuilding the walls. And so as you get into that today, you're going to see a few things um, starting in Chapter one, it says in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing and basically um, talks about him sending people back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. And notice it talks about fulfilling the prophecy of Jeremiah. Cyrus is also mentioned prophetically by Isaiah. And it says the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus. So there we see God totally being in control. That might be an encouraging thought for us as we look at a world full of leaders that we're like, what, what in the world are they doing? A good reminder that God is in control and God can change the hearts of leaders to accomplish his purposes. And so we see them, him sending people back to rebuild the temple. Chapter two gives us kind of a long list of the people that return. And chapter three starts to let us know the process and see them begin the the rebuilding. And in verse 11, they sing the same song that was sung when the temple was dedicated under King Solomon. For he is good for his steadfast love endures forever towards Israel. But you also see that the moment is bittersweet where the people that were old enough to have seen the former temple, they're weeping because they had seen the first house and this second was just not living up to it. 
And so we see kind of the consequences of sin there uh, as there's still the pain of the loss, but we also see the faithfulness of God as he restores his people, as he fulfills prophecy, and as he shows his authority even over the rulers of the world. And as we consider the goodness of God, let us wrap up with just a great, simple psalm of praise in Psalm 92, especially these first couple verses. It says, it is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night, to the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands, I sing for joy. I hope you reflect on the faithfulness of God, his steadfast love, and that that brings joy to your heart today. And that that joy even motivates you to take up your own work and be a part of the harvest that God is going to do. Thanks for digging into God's word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out revivalfromthebible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to compassbible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.